The reading is from Exodus 1, verse 8 to 2.10. Pharaoh oppresses Israel. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pure, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The birth of Moses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, And he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. So um, let's pray and we're going to take a closer look at the, the passage we just had read to us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much as we heard last week that happy is the one who meditates on your law day and night. And we pray, Father, that we would be those who do that now. Please give us understanding Please help us to focus, and please, Father, help us to have hearts by your Spirit that 
live out what we hear. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if I could have a volunteer, perhaps someone who doesn't have to crawl over people uh, to get here, and someone who thinks they're okay-ish at drawing. Okay? Any volunteers? Don't all jump at once. Uh, I think someone a little bit younger. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, young at heart, I know. I know. Younger. <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay, it doesn't, they don't have to be good at drawing. They just need to be able to hold a pen. Anyone here? Hold a pen. Go on, let's come up. Give them a round of applause. So if you just uh, head over to that board, and um, you'll see there I've got two pens. Pick a colour, any colour. And uh, I've sanitised them, but you can feel free to sanitise uh, again. There's some there. Um, and I want you to draw for me. You've got to draw a couple of things, but I want you to draw for me a horse. Do you think you could do that? A horse. Okay-ish at drawing, okay? Take time. That's pretty good. Okay. Nice. Look at that. That's unbelievable. That's great. Very well done. Very well done. Oh, we've got an artist here. Okay, uh, I want you to do that again, but could you do it with your non-writing hand behind your back at all times? Put it in your back pocket if you... Yeah, non-writing hand. So you can take the lid off. That's fine. (laughs) Didn't you just do with your right hand? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Sorry, don't let me interfere. Okay. A little bit quicker this time. Nice. There's where he's going to go. Great. The horse doesn't have to be drinking in this one. It could. Well, you've already committed now, so let's go for that. <laughs> good. Very good. Perfect. Oh, oh, sorry, don't let me rush you. <laughs> Brilliant, well done, well done. Okay, could you do it? Could you do it with your opposite hand? So you were writing with your left, could you do it with your right? Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Can you use both hands? <laughs> both? Yeah, no, as in... <laughs> Why'd you do that? <laughs> I'll forget that one. Okay, do it again with your... <laughs> You're just that good at drawing. You do it with your other hand. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, okay, do it with your eyes closed. No cheating. Do it with my other hand. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, looking good. Not bad. Very good. Okay, what do we think of that? <laughs> not bad, not bad. Okay, one more. Um, I want you to do it with your foot. So uh, you can pick any foot, and you're welcome to take your shoes off. Did he wash his feet today? What do you think? <laughs> we'll find out, won't we? 
We've got the sanitizer ready. Good. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm sure you'll be all right. <laughs> Give it a go. Don't get it on the carpet, whatever you do. I'm not allowed to help. I, I have to keep two meters. I mean, you could lay down. Okay, I'll put you out of your misery. Give him a round of applause. Very good. Well done. Take a seat. Well done. Um, the point's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's harder. Um, the further he went on, um, the more difficult I made it for him. The Well, I mean, we started off pretty well. Still pretty good. I mean, that, I don't know what that is. And certainly don't know what that is. So the, more, <laughs> the harder I made it, the more difficult... Uh, it was for him to succeed. Uh, but in tonight's passage, we're actually going to see the opposite take place, uh, because we're going to see that the more God's people are opposed and the more people do against God, actually the more they succeed. And we're going to see why that matters uh, to us uh, this evening. Uh, I want us to see three things. First of all, God's people groaning. Secondly, God's promises succeeding. And thirdly, God protecting a child. Now, first of all, God's people groaning. Uh, we're starting a new book, Exodus, and um, do get it out in front of you. We've, if you've ordered one of these journals, I'm afraid there's a supply issue, uh, but we're jetting some over from America, I think, as we speak, uh, in someone's private jet or something like that. So um, hopefully they'll be here next week, but do grab that on an app or in front of you. And uh, right at the start of this book, it isn't very pretty, is it? Um, how are God's people doing? Well, we heard, didn't we, from the reading, verse 8, if you've got it in front of you, that now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. See, um, Pharaoh's doing a bit of political kind of game making here. Um, he thinks by victimizing this group of immigrants that actually it will win favor with the people. And so he picks a fight with them. Now, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world at this time. Uh, if you're going to play top trumps with him, uh, I don't, does anyone still play top trumps? That's my attempt at getting into youth culture. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you play top trumps, uh, you'll know that you have different categories. Pharaoh would win on everything because he uh, was, uh, you know, the top at pretty much everything. Um, he was a pretty scary guy. He's not the sort of guy you would go into and have a casual conversation, not the sort of guy you would joke with saying, have you seen your mummy recently or anything like that. That's a good joke. That's a good joke. Uh, but you wouldn't do that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a pretty fierce character. And you see that uh, in this passage. And um, to help us understand this, I've got in front of me, or behind me, an oppression meter. Now, you may not have heard of one of these. Uh, um, pretty common. Uh, but uh, it details the amount of oppression uh, that uh, happens in this passage. So let's have a look at what happens. Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 1, if you've got it in front of you, do look at it. Here's what we read. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made uh, their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work of the field. They made their, their, all their work 
They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, slavery is pretty horrible, uh, to say the least, that's an understatement, but slavery in the ancient world was absolutely terrifying because many slaves would die at the hands of their slave masters. So the oppression for Israel goes up, doesn't it? Where do you reckon? About there, maybe. But that doesn't really work, as we're going to find out a bit later. And so Pharaoh ups the game. Uh, We read in verse 16 what happens next. If I can find the right bit. Verse 16. Pharaoh went to the midwives, and he said to the midwives, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. So midwives, their one job is to bring babies safely into the world, and Pharaoh's telling them to do the very opposite of that, to kill all the male children so they won't be a threat. And so the oppression meter goes up another notch. But again, that doesn't really work, as we're going to see a bit later. And so Pharaoh tries something else. Verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives, uh, and, uh, nope, that's the wrong place. Verse 22, rather. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so Pharaoh isn't satisfied just killing the babies. He's also going to get the people to clear out the nurseries of all the male children. So as it goes, the oppression is off the scale, isn't it? I know that's on the scale, but you get the point. It's pretty bad. Now, um, It's easy, isn't it, to kind of uh, read this and think to ourselves, well, that just sounds like words on a page. But actually get us to, it's it's much harder to imagine what that must have been like for them. I saw a a film a couple of months ago called uh, Quiet Place. Um, This isn't me saying you go and watch it. I think it's a 12. It's a little bit scary in places. Uh, But it's one of those films that you're on, you're you're tense the whole way through. Uh, Because it's about some monsters, I don't know where they come from, uh, doesn't sound very scary, does it? So there's some monsters, and um, they basically hunt down people uh, based on sound. So they can't see, but as soon as they hear you, uh, it's not good news. And so this whole family, in fact, there's no speech really in the whole film, uh, this whole family uh, kind of goes through uh, the quiet place, being quiet. And there's a bit of a scary moment in the movie where the lady becomes pregnant, and she realizes she's got to have a baby. And so she has the baby completely in silence, uh, which is quite a feat. And then, obviously, when the baby's born, she's utterly terrified it make a noise, so she builds this sort of kind of soundproof box. And you can just imagine that, what it was like for these people right there. The authorities looking around for any male children, and any baby they would find, he says, they're going to cast into the uh, Nile. Now, for many Christians around the world, even today, actually... That can be the experience of many. Uh, Many people do fear for their lives, and I know we don't uh, face that, thankfully, in this country, but many do find themselves facing this sort of hardship. And while we don't find that, we do find sometimes that we aren't feeling like we're on the winning side, that actually um, we feel quite often that the church is very weak and very squeezed. And maybe in our own lives we feel sometimes uh, the difficulties of life as a Christian. But actually, despite that hard start, there is a really surprising outcome because we see that God's promises succeed. Now, we've had the oppression meter 
I want to introduce you to the promise meter. There it is. Well done, Sam Kimberley. Thank you so much for doing this. I would have done a terrible job. Uh, But uh, we're going to see what happens as uh, Pharaoh does what he does. Verse 7 of chapter 1. Have a look at it with me. My hands are so cold, I can't turn the pages. It's so funny. Look what happens. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. Now, um, those words multiplied and um, increased... uh, 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 Sorry. (laughs) And um, grew extremely uh, strong. They um, remind us of what God promised back in Genesis. Here's what God says in Genesis to Jacob and all his descendants. He says this, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. So what does God promise Jacob and all his children? Well, he promises them to be fruitful, that they'll be fruitful and increase in number. And what happens in Egypt? Well, they're being fruitful and increasing in number. But what happens when the opposition starts to threaten them? Well, look at what happens in verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So you think the opposite would happen, wouldn't you? That as they're made to be slaves, that actually they would decrease in number. But what happens? Well, God's promises actually become more and more fulfilled, become more and more true. And what about the midwives? Well, they give this kind of excuse uh, that uh, uh, Hebrew women are stronger and they give birth more quickly. And what happens, verse 20 of chapter 1, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So even the midwives, uh, who are told to get rid of the children, actually he gives them the very thing they're told to uh, threaten. And so do you see the point? As the opposition goes up from Pharaoh, God's promises are being fulfilled See, often, sorry, that undoes my point completely. (laughs) There we go. Do you see the point? Don't remember the arrow falling down. That would not help. So, because we often think, don't we, that actually, when people are opposed, actually, uh, God's promises are going to be threatened. But actually, we see here that God doesn't get caught out. He doesn't think, oh, my plans are really frustrated. He's promised to bless his people. And no matter what happens... He will do that. Now, believe it or not, I did uh, one lesson in judo, and um, it was a complete failure. Tall people shouldn't be doing it, really. It didn't didn't really fit with my physique. Uh, But the one thing I did pick up with judo is that you use your enemy's momentum against them. So if they come in for a punch or something, you kind of twist them around, or this is the theory, and throw them on the floor just like that uh, picture. And the point is that... God is kind of doing a, I guess, a cosmic judo here. Pharaoh is trying to throw his best punch. He's trying to stop his people with all his might. And each time God works through that oppression, through that opposition, to bring about his purposes. There's a little bit of a sting here, isn't there? Because it does remind us that if we try and oppose God, actually, it's only going to hurt us. See, God has promised to bless this world through his people, and nothing is going to stop that. But it's also an encouragement, isn't it? Because lots of us, I guess, will look very weak and will feel like that we're not very strong. 
Uh, I guess we might be the only Christians in our school or college or workplace. Uh, For some of us, we might have a hard time being a Christian. And all of us, I guess, look at the church in this country and we think to ourselves, is it really that impressive? But this reminds us, that, doesn't it, that God doesn't work through the impressive, the mighty, but he works through the weak and the oppressed. But how can we be sure of that today? I mean, that was good for Egypt, wasn't it? But how can we be sure of that? Well, finally, I want us to see that God protects a child. See, um, in chapter 2, the focus goes from the nation onto one child in particular, uh, Moses. And it's a wonderful story, isn't it? Moses um, is born, and his mother is understandably very frightened uh, about the authorities finding out. And so she keeps him for three months. But after three months, she can't bear it any longer. And so she makes a reed basket, one of these, called a a Moses basket. I've got no idea if it looks like this, uh, but this is from one of my children. And um, we all know the story, I guess. She puts the, the, the basket on the Nile, and the, the basket drifts away, and one of Pharaoh's household, his daughter, finds the basket. And instead of carrying out her father's orders, she has pity on this baby, and she finds someone to look after the baby. And do you know who she finds? Well, Moses' mother, of all people. And she ends up paying her to do the job of bringing up Moses. Now, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? But what's that got to do with you and me? Well, actually, this story really matters to the whole of God's people and actually really matters to us. There's a few clues in this text to tell us that. First of all, um, we're not just told that uh, a basket was made, but the actual word is ark. And there's only two places in the Old Testament where the word ark comes up. Prizes for guessing the other place? With Noah. Yeah, so Noah's ark and Moses' ark. And now, just... um, before you think I'm just making a, a, a connection that isn't there, we're also told that Moses' mother painted it with bitumen and... Um, what's the other thing? Sorry? Tar. Yes, something else. Anyway, something to make it waterproof. So, um, so she gets her paintbrush out, she paints all the waterproofing over it and sends it off. Now, the point is... We're not just told the detail for the sake of it. It's showing us that Moses is like Noah. See, Noah was the one family, one man, in whom all the hopes of this world continuing sat in. See, it was because Noah was given the ark that actually the whole world was saved. And it's similar here. Because Moses is saved, so we're going to see all God's people are saved. See, we're seeing here that God's brings about his salvation through one person and the survival of this one person. And of course, as we look across the Bible, we see that most of all in Jesus, who does flee like Moses from a king who's determined to kill the children. Uh, Another person who flees to Egypt. And another person who is delivered through death like Moses, like Noah to rise again. But also we see in what Moses does here, we see a pattern of what's going to happen through him. See, um, we didn't read it out, but there's this kind of uh, story about Moses striking one of the Egyptian slave masters and Moses um, rescuing some shepherd girls 
uh, from uh, some people trying to get to the drinks machine uh, before them, effectively. And uh, it's a bit, they're two very strange stories, but, but actually when you read what's going on, you see that actually this is giving us a picture of what God's going to do. See, God is going to strike the Egyptians. And when the shepherd girls are rescued, they say that Moses has saved us from the hands of the shepherds. And Miriam's going to say that of God a bit later on. And so Moses is showing us in himself that God is going to rescue by striking the Egyptians and by bringing them out of Egypt. So you look at Moses and you look at this little basket and you think it looks so fragile, doesn't it? And it looks so unimportant. It looks so weak. I mean, one gust of wind could have taken Moses in a different direction. But actually, because we know God works his promises through what is weak, what looks unimpressive, well, actually, we know that this man carried the hopes of the whole nation and, in some ways, the whole world. And, of course, that points us to the greater Moses, to Jesus himself. And you look at the cross, don't you, and it looks so unimpressive. Many people died on a cross in the ancient world. But actually, because this one man carried all the hopes of this world, by looking at him, by his rescue from death to life, we know that God can rescue us. Now, how does this help us today? Well, it gives us great hope, doesn't it? That actually, when we face opposition, or when we feel weak, or when we struggle in our lives, we know that's not a barrier to God working. In fact, it is through those very things that God brings his salvation. He did it in Moses, he did it in Jesus, and he will do it again. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, then we're going to uh, have some music play to us, and then I think it's time for questions, so do text in those questions. Let's pray, though, as we finish. Thank you, Father, that you are not outwitted by any human authority. Thank you, Father, for the way you wonderfully bring about your promises even when Pharaoh opposes your people. And we pray that you give us great confidence and comfort when we face difficulties in this world. We pray particularly for um, those around the world suffering at this time, uh, particularly for Christians uh, in places like Ethiopia and Nigeria um, who have suffered over this last month. And we pray for all of us, Father, that you would encourage us and them with that truth that you work through your promises, through the opposition. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So um, now we've got a few questions for Rob to have a go answering. If you've got any last minute kind of inclusions, um, do quickly send them in. Um, Firstly, to get us started, um, I had a question. So the Bible isn't very detailed. It doesn't give us much about Pharaoh, who he is, or what kind of time this happened. So how can we know that this really did happen, that this really is a kind of historical narrative. Yeah, thanks. Um, I might say a bit more about this in future weeks as we get little bits um, that indicate that. But there's a couple of things, um, yeah, because a lot of people point at this and think, well, Pharaoh is not named. Uh, Why isn't he named? But I think there's an irony here because the two midwives are named and Pharaoh remains nameless. And the point is that the midwives are the heroes of the story. Uh, not Pharaoh. Can you hear me okay? No, not okay. Is that better? Yeah, great. So uh, the, the midwives are named Pharaoh isn't, 
So I think that's purposely a kind of ironic thing. Um, but there are a couple of indications um, that this is historical. First of all, we're told the two cities, uh, Pitom and Ramesses, uh, were the store cities. And interestingly, Moses' name, um, it, it does mean drawn out in Hebrew, but it's also a famous Egyptian name. Uh, so, yeah, it seems that Moses was a real person at a real time. That I'm going to just try and lump together for you. Um, oh, great. That's okay. So we had um, they're kind of a, a similar theme. Um, so God smashes Pharaoh. Yay! Uh, this is a quote. By the way. Uh, <laughs> will God also smash the oppressors of the Ethiopians and Nigerians you mentioned? Will He smash those who oppress me? And then another one, kind of similar theme, but is maybe maybe is is slightly different. Do God's promises always increase when oppression increases? Is this a pattern or only an example of one way God works? Yeah, yeah, I will take those separately. Um, Really good questions. And um, uh, yeah, thank you for asking them. I'll say what I can in the time we've got, but uh, you do contact me afterwards if you want to say a bit more. Does this mean that kind of um, all my enemies, you know, people give me a hard time at college are going to be smashed uh, by God? Um, No, I don't think we can just draw that straight line from them to us. Um, I think this is showing us that actually God can uh, defeat any enemy we face. And I think the way the New Testament would point us is in the way that sin and death are defeated. So less particular people, more our greatest opponents, sin and death. Having said that, um, so um, and of course, when we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus um, dying for his enemies rather than smashing them. Um, but having said that, I think there is a sting, as I said, in the tale of, actually, if we oppose God, actually, we will find ourselves um, hurting ourselves. So, yeah. So, I don't think that's quite the same thing as saying God's going to smash all the people that oppose me. But don't, don't, hear the mis, um, don't ignore the, the kind of warning uh, in that as well. And the second question was... Do God's promises always increase when oppression increases? Or is this... Is this a pattern or only one example in which God can work? Um, yeah, again, I think it's not um, a like for like. So as I get more and more oppressed, um, more and more promises come true. It's not kind of, um, actually, if you're going to have a really hard time, you're going to have a great time in terms of God's promises. It's not quite like that. But God's promises always are fulfilled and they're never derailed. So in the Bible, God's, um, God sends these people into exile and it's a really dark time, but that doesn't derail God's purposes. He always has got his plan, and no matter what happens in the good times or the bad times, he's fulfilling those promises. Um, and ultimately, he does that in Jesus, because Jesus uh, is opposed, he's killed, uh, and then he's risen. But I do think there's a pattern in the Bible, and I just want to share this from um, James chapter 1, of not kind of suffering being good, uh, certainly not, and not that um, uh, suffering's okay because it's going to be, God's going to kind of give us um, something good through it. But, um, so it's not quite saying that. But James says this, for example, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so what James is saying is not that suffering's good. He's definitely not saying that. But he's saying that you can consider it joy why? Because God works through that suffering to bring perseverance. So that means that if you and me find ourselves uh, in a dark time facing suffering, 
we're not to think, oh, kind of God's given up on us, or God's going to be silent, or this is kind of our Christian life going on pause. Actually, it might be through that very thing that God works uh, to grow us more like Christ. Lovely. Um, for the sake of time, I think I might just do one last brief one. Uh, we haven't managed to get to everyone, so thank you for sending those in, and we appreciated all of them. But um, So lastly, kind of on what you were saying, um, hindsight is all well and good, but sometimes it's impossible to see God working in the bad situations. What kind of tangible comfort can we expect from God in these times? Yeah, so um, there is this kind of view out there that you can kind of say, well, it was okay, I had a car crash because then that meant um, I didn't you know, go on a, uh, a trip and that meant I met the love of my life and things worked out well or something like that. I, I know I'm trivialising, but that sort of idea that suffering's okay because there's a kind of purpose behind it. But actually, for the most part, we're not really told why we face all those sorts of things. Um, when, Jesus, uh, when the people ask Jesus, uh, is there a particular reason that someone's um, uh, struggling in a particular way, he doesn't say, well, it was because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, he says, um, yeah, so it, that's, yeah. The, the point is you can't go, sort of, that's happened because of that reason. We're not God, and we don't know. Um, what was the question again? Tangible comfort can we get? So what tangible comfort? Well, I think we've heard it tonight um, from Exodus 1 and 2. See, God's given us his word, and he's given us examples to remind us that actually he works in the suffering. Um, so I would say look back at Exodus if we are struggling, and look at how God works and what an encouragement that is. And ultimately, we don't just look back to Exodus, do we? We look back to the cross and knowing that that um, is the place we know that God has um, brought us ultimate comfort. Um, but also, I think in the present, we can know that God comforts us. I just um, share this from 2 Corinthians, uh, where Paul says that God is the Father of all compassion, who comforts us all in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble uh, with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, um, we haven't got time to go into this, but 2 Corinthians is kind of like a comfort chain, that actually as we struggle, God comforts us so that we can comfort other people when they struggle. And so one of the ways we're comforted, I think, and God helps us in the presence, is to give us other people who can comfort us in those moments. So look back, look back to Exodus, look back to the cross, look to the church which is God's means of comfort in us, but also look for the future as well, where Jesus will bring ultimate comfort. Thanks. Thank you very much, Rob. So something we started doing in the evening services is to interview members of the church family. Um, that's for a couple of reasons. So partly so we can get to know each other a bit better, because um, that's quite difficult to do at the moment when we can't really talk and interact. Um, and it's also to hear a bit about how we can apply what we've been learning um, to our day-to-day lives. So Silas has very kindly agreed to come and be interviewed. (laughs) That's great. Um, How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good, that's great. Um, So one thing we asked you to do beforehand, um, so we could get to know a bit better, was to send in the most recent photo that you've taken on your phone. I don't know if we've got that available to see. Um, So can you just explain what this is a photo of? Now that, ladies and gents, is my hometown in Barnsley. (laughs) If you don't know where Barnsley is, 
it's South Yorkshire, um, up north, so uh, hence the <laughs> accent. Um, yeah. That's great. Thanks. That's a really nice photo. Um, so, obviously, that's where you grew up. And what brought you to Basingstoke? How have you ended up here? So, yeah, um, originally, I'm sort of um, known St Mary's through M&M. So, I've sort of um, been through the years at M&M and Dorset Ventures. So, I know, like, yeah, Sam Baker's and L Webster's. Um, I've, through, through camp, um, I met two two twins, um, who I'm good mates with, um, and now I'm living down in posh Hampshire, uh, working for the boys, um, yeah, I'm just trying to get stuck in St Mary's church life, so yeah. Cool, awesome, that's great. Um, and so if we, sort of thinking back over the past year, it's been quite a, an odd year in a lot of ways, what are the sort of particular challenges you've been facing? Probably working with Matt and Ben, to be honest. Um, <laughs> pretty tough going that. Um, I think probably, to be honest, Zoe, um, it's just sort of the unpredictability mm. of sort of life the past year. You know, you can't, you know, none of us can plan for the future. Um, it's all a bit, you know, you talk, you're just taking each day as it comes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably... <clears throat> the uh, most difficult mm. um, thing I found about this year. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably something a lot of us can relate to, actually, that not knowing what's coming next or, you know, mm-hmm. if we're going to be in lockdown next month. Yeah, definitely. Um, so today we were thinking a bit about uh, following God when it's difficult um, and when we, we don't necessarily sort of see that God's promises are, are coming true. Can you relate to that in any way? Can you think of any times in your life when... Um, so you followed God despite it being difficult? Yeah, so um, I'll tell you a little story. I'll try and keep it brief for your sakes. Um, so I became a Christian um, sort of this time last year. Um, so a few months prior to that, um, me and my mates back in Barnsley, um, we booked a trip to go to Amsterdam. Um, before I was a Christian, mind you. Uh, I won't go again. Um, and I became a Christian sort of two, three weeks before we went. Um, so I was sort of trying to big myself up to say, listen, listen, lad, in my head. You know, you need to bite the bullet, tell me, mates, I've become a Christian. Um, and growing up, I, you know, my dad's a pastor. I've grown up in a church family all my life. And I was sort of, growing up, I was pretty ashamed of it, to be honest. Um, so it was a big thing for me to tell me, mates, that, you know, I was, I've, I've become a born-again Christian, so sort of bigging myself up for it. Um, and I planned, I was sort of planning to tell them on the last day before we went. Turned out his flight got cancelled by three days. So I sort of had to, um, like I said, bite, bite the bullet and I just, just to tell them. I remember being in the bathroom, in the hotel room, and just thinking, right, pray to God that they don't disown me. Um, so I did it. Told them I was a Christian. Um, you know, trusting in God that, like I say, they, won't, they don't disown me. And yeah, it went well. You know, to this day, my mates are pretty keen and interested in, in my faith and uh, still my mates to this day, thankfully. Um, but it just, it just proves like, you know, sometimes as Christians, we have to sort of, you know, 
come out your comfort zone and, um, you know, evangelize. And my, my mates, people in Barnsley, they need Christianity the most, you know what I mean? I mean, that's how serious it is, I think. You know, it's, it's life or death, heaven or hell um, at the end of the day. So, yeah, and thankfully, you know, um, I pray that my mates will one day come to know God. That's great. That's an amazing sort of testament to God's faithfulness, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so, what would you say to anyone, anyone here today who's sort of particularly struggling to, to trust God at the moment? Is there any, anything you could offer them? Yeah, um, it's a tough one because obviously, you know, there's going to be people in here that are Christians. Some people aren't going to be Christians. Um, I think if you're a Christian, I think, I think the key thing is you've got to keep reading your Bible. I mean, especially in these times, you know, spiritual food. If you don't read the Bible, how are you going to grow as a Christian? Um, so I think, I think reading the Bible daily if you can. I know it's hard. I find it hard. Um, you know, daily breads or word for you today help me personally. Um, and prayer. Prayer on Zoom or quiet time in your own room with the door closed, just praying to God. Um, and trusting in God. I think that's, you know, we have to trust God um, and he'll do the rest. Um, and if you're not a Christian, um, well, we, I saw Christianity explored was being advertised. Just, you know, I can't, from personal experience, I cannot um, say how much my life has changed by giving myself to Jesus Christ. And it's, you know, even through lockdown, um, I've felt the best mentally and spiritually. And I've been sat in my room pretty much every day after work just because I can't do anything. But it's the best I've ever felt. So, you know. That's amazing, Silas. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's really, really helpful. Thanks again. Um,